Hi, welcome to the Four Teachers podcast. Michaela here with you. Last week, James from ArchD and CESA's gifted education advisor, Dr. Rebecca Napier, spent the day in conversation with gifted ed teachers from all around Catholic schools in Adelaide about their experiences in this area, their journey, and what they've learned along the way. There was so much great stuff that we've released these as an entire series of podcasts. Check out the show notes for links to all of the episodes. Michael and Viv, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, if we could just start off by finding out uh, what school you're at, what uh, year levels you're teaching currently, and uh, how long you've been there. Viv, we'll start with you. Um, I've been at St. Aloysius College for four years. I'm the coordinator of teaching and learning for reception to year six, and I currently teach in year four, but I've done a little bit of everything. Um, over my time in my teaching career, I've done all across reception to year six. Which do you prefer? If yeah, you had to choose, and, don't, and I know that your, your instinct will be to go, of course year four, where I'm at currently. Every time I change year levels, I think I love it the most. Okay. And then I change year levels again, and I'm like, I love that the most. And so I, I can never decide, but I do, I do really love year fours, but I also really love year sixes and the maturity that they bring to their mm. learning. So. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Michael? Whereabouts are you at the moment? Yeah, I'm currently the assistant principal for learning and innovation at Loretto College. Okay. Yeah. And does that give you, do you have a classroom role there or is it uh, more administrative? Yeah, not yet, unfortunately, but I do work very closely with the teachers and in structuring programs that uh, meet the learning needs there. And right across all year levels? Yeah, it's P to 12. Okay. If we were making a movie about your journey through the world of gifted education, Michael. Scene one opens. Where are we? What's going on? Yeah. Well, I've always wanted to be in a movie, so that's a interesting okay. question. So who, who would play you first? <laughs> We've got to work that out. Ooh. Who's that guy in 24? 24. Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, no, yeah. I could see Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Start thinking, Viv. We'll get to you in a second. Okay, so Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland starring. Okay, so, okay, so <laughs> camera, camera open with a camera on Kiefer right. Sutherland. So, but but seriously, in terms of the gift, like where, where for you does the yeah. story begin? Well, I'm going to go with that sort of international perspective actually uh i sort of come from a very diverse um sort of way of thinking about education having most recently worked in brazil for seven years Mm. as a director there in the international school Uh, prior to that jakarta where we had probably 90 nationalities from all around the world Mm. for several years there as well and in the middle east in kuwait and an american school prior to that tasmania and i guess over that journey as i sort of see it the word that comes to mind is this idea of diversity and that no two people and particularly no two children are the same. Mm. And if we have that in the back of our minds as a conceptual sort of lens to look at the topic of giftedness through, then we have the opportunity to meet all learners' needs. Okay, so that, that that's a, a huge amount of wisdom that's clearly been gathered over a long period of time in a whole bunch of different settings. But for you, where did that idea begin in terms of gifted education? Was there a moment? I'm keen to find a moment where uh, something happened, something changed, because that would be where the movie starts, you see. Yeah. It's, it's don't box our young people in. So I remember talking to some teachers, I would say, several years ago, mm-hmm. and – 
we, we got under this notion of giftedness, how to accelerate kids, how do we really make sure they're meeting their potential. And the sort of, I guess, the notion in the room amongst many people was there was only one gifted child per class. It was the top kid, right? There's always a top kid oh. who gets straight A pluses, whatever. And for them in their mindset, that was the gifted child. That was the representative gifted. Yes. And so for me, I'm the going- The token gifted child the token in every class. Gifted. Wow. So for me, I'm sort of thinking, well, that can't be right. There must be other gifted students in this class. Sure. And maybe they're gifted in other areas. And mm. they might not be great at math, but they might be great on stage. Yeah. And so for me, the penny sort of dropped that we can't look at a population of kids and assume there's just one. Yeah. Because then, of course, then the following year, if both those kids, are like if they're from two classes, they get moved into one class. Right. You then have left you have to choose you're, who the gifted you're child not gifted is. anymore. No, <laughs> definitely not. How about for you, Viv? Where did the, uh, the story connection with gifted education begin for you? Um, if it was going to be a movie title, I'd probably call it The Accidental Tourist. Um, Fantastic. <laughs> kind of started off by accident. Do you, you see know. Angelina Jolie playing playing you? Oh, that'd be nice. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm picking <laughs> Selena Gomez. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, okay, I can see that too, go. definitely. Um, yeah, so when I was a young teacher, beginning teacher, I went into the school and they were like, we need someone to run Tournament of Minds. Who's going to put their hand up? And, you know, when you're young and you put your hand up for everything. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. I don't know what it is, but I'll do it. And and at the same time they said, oh, we need a key teacher for gifted and talented. Do you want to do that too? Sure, I'll do that. And then I've been in quite a number of schools in my time. So every time I moved to a new school, they'd look at my resume and say, oh, you can do this. Great. We need you for this. And so it kind of just evolved from there and, Suddenly, I would never call myself an expert, but I sort of, along the way, discovered that I had these skills that I didn't know I was going to get. Yeah, right. So, I'm really curious to follow that story through past that staff meeting where you put your hand up and said, okay, no, I'll be the gifted uh, key teacher. And they go, great, fantastic. Uh, you'll be doing your first class or your first session on, on Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning rocks around. You go to that classroom. Tell us the story of that day. Uh Oh, goodness me. I'm, I'm actually going to think to my second group of okay. students that I had. I had a – after – the year after um, – I, I was initially actually in this first year at St. Aloysius College back in the day, and I was only there for a year, so I've returned there. And the year after, I actually went to Loretto, and I had a Tournament of Minds team there, and it was I was still very new at it. And I was like, how am I going to, you know, get, manage these girls and facilitate these girls? And they walked into the first meeting, and they said – the first thing we're going to do is we're going to write our acceptance speech for when we win. Wow. And mm. I was thinking, hold on a minute, girls, maybe we, we need to do some <laughs> other planning That is the first. very <laughs> definition of counting your chickens before they hatch. Isn't and it? so <laughs> they sat down and they did that and, and, and I let them go and I kind of – I really didn't have – a lot of idea of what I was going along, but it was a lot of facilitation. Well, the end of that story is that they actually won. Right. <laughs> that, and that acceptance speech mm. came into play and we went to Canberra and managed to – and we competed against other schools and I Fantastic. was like, okay, maybe I need to have a little bit more trust in these students yeah. who actually have – a really strong sense of well, we can be successful because um, I was always thinking, oh, we'll, we'll go into this and um, 
we'll be, I'll be grateful if we make it into the top 10 or, yeah. or whatever, where I had that deficit model, but they definitely had that positivity that I then discovered was um, a good trait to have. So in those early days with those those classes at the very early stages, what was sort of the things that took you by surprise other than that? I mean, that's sort of something that happens down the road, I guess. Yeah. But in terms of those, that really steep potential learning curve early on, what were the things that sort of like popped up along the way that you went, okay, I have to um, uh, um, um, f- find a way to move with this, to adapt to this, and, and, the, and the skills that you've learned along the way in that regard early on? I think a, a lot of those students have, and all the students that I've worked with through my time, they think out of the box, things yeah. that no one else would even, you'd be like, it really quirky ideas that I'm like, whoa, that's really left field. And I often couldn't make the connections that they were making. And so a lot of questioning and facilitating of asking the right questions and getting them to explain it to me and having faith that they actually knew what they were doing. Because sometimes um, teachers, we think we have an answer in our heads. Yeah. And we're like, okay, we're, I'm going to teach this lesson mm. and these students are going to get to hear. And then when they go over there and you're suddenly looking, thinking to yourself, hold on a minute, that's not the plan that I had. You've got to have faith to go with where they're going because – they sometimes have made leaps and connections that you just can't imagine. So it's almost like being a teacher, you're not there to provide the answers, you're there to facilitate learning and and, a, and more of a learning journey for these students. Yeah, and that's how I see myself as a teacher. I don't see myself as the giver of knowledge. Um, I can't have all that knowledge and there have been many students in my time who know much more than I do in an area. My role is to create an environment in which that learning flourishes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. brilliant. So I'm wondering what sorts of personal traits that you notice amongst your gifted students. So it sounds like the ones that you've been working with, some of them have been highly confident. I'd love to hear from both of you. What other personal traits, not necessarily academic achievements, but personal traits stand out to you regarding your gifted students that you've been with? Yeah, it's quite interesting. Over time, a lot of the gifted students I've worked with really have this passion around sort of social justice issues. Mm -hmm. And they'll be very passionate about advocating for a particular topic, a particular um, issue or a global issue. Um, They're almost like mini adults as well. They really want to talk at the adult level. They really want to have that conversation with adults around deeper learning, higher level questioning skills and the like, yeah. I really thought hard about this. I didn't want to make a generalisation, but there are a few things that I've noted with students that I've worked with that are perhaps a little bit different. One of them is a sense of untidiness and disorganisation (laughs) that is very frustrating because their focus is on the big ideas and the learning and the, the minor details of neatness or presentation is really not what they're thinking about and so like a mad professor perhaps have you met a few little mad professors exactly and i was thinking about this in lockdown i had a student i I mean that affectionately who in lockdown did some great work but the work that i got back was on ripped piece of papers that had just been slammed into the book and i was like the ideas were great the learning was great but i was like what what was she doing? She just, it didn't occur to her to have it neat and tidy. Yeah. Um, the, the word quirky sort of comes up sometimes, doesn't it? But really it's an advanced sense of humour because sometimes there's a mm. really deep sort of sarcasm and uh, that they, they portray in there, yeah. Yeah. I've spoken to teachers before about these are your students who are picking up the adult jokes when you're watching the cartoons. Yes. They're the ones making eye contact with you while everyone else is missing it. Yeah. Mm. 
So um, students right across the board all have, you know, needs and, and very different needs depending on the student. Is there been any needs that you've noticed that uh, those accelerated gifted students have that does stand apart, perhaps ones that people wouldn't naturally assume from their very limited understanding of what gifted students are like and what they need? Yeah, I'd, I'd advocate for student voice. They they really, above and beyond other children as well who really, really want to be heard, need their teachers, I think society, others, to listen to them at a, a very deep level. Mm. Um, they really want to co-construct their own learning rather than, as you said before, Viviana, have the teacher tell them this is what they're learning. So it's a real focus on learning through inquiry, learning through projects, learning giving me feedback when I need it uh, on my learning journey rather than here's a set box of knowledge Mm. and next Friday we'll ask you to regurgitate that back to us. And what does that look like in terms of like a whole class perspective then? Are you talking about these students uh, all participating in a similar kind of activity? Are you actually talking about all students um, um, working in the way that you see gifted students needing to excel and everyone kind of picking up the baton in that regard. Yeah, well, there's a lot of recent research in student-to-teacher feedback, and it's, it's, it's a passionate area of mine. Um, and, and I've done a lot of research on this in a dissertation, and to summarise, you know, two or three hundred <laughs> words, uh, pages, sorry, um, you know, if we listen to our kids and we listen to what they're saying about either what they're learning or how we're teaching or the approaches, guess what? The intended outcomes improve and moreover, the teaching practice improves. Mm. And so there's lots of simple ways to do that. Like as an exit card, did you find this intriguing? Uh, was, was the content level too high? Was it too easy? And then you're going to start picking up on trends. If you've got the same child going... Yeah, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I actually sort of found this pretty easy. Mm. Well, what are we going to do to extend that learning, right? And so that can be through survey forms. There's a myriad ways to get that feedback about are you learning at the level you need to be learning at? And what's the frequency that you would do that at? Yeah, I mean, I'd expect uh, once a week some sort of interactive thing. I mean, it's two minutes. You send out a Google form. They spend two minutes. They could do it at home. There's all the data in front of you. On a daily basis, um, something a little bit more simple, questioning, a little exit card, thumbs up, fist to five, you know, five, did you understand everything today at a high level? Fist, I don't understand it. Was the pacing reasonable? Fist to five. Lots of little simple things. You just got to have that interaction so that it's not about teaching, it's about learning. And we're eliciting information from the learners. Right. That's fascinating. I'd like to back that up about the co-constructed learning. I've got a teacher in particular I'm thinking of in my school, Silvana Bianche. She's actually our CCQ, um, which is a questionnaire uh, coordinator, but she works in the languages area and she co-constructs the year's learning with her class and it's different every year. At the start of the year, she asks them, what do you want to learn? How do you want to learn it? What do you want your assignments to look like? And then as the teacher, she works out how that works into the framework of SACE because it has to fit into something. And she does all of that planning. And we've had amazing results in yeah. that class as a result because the students are learning what they're interested yeah. in mm. and they've just excelled. Yeah, mm. we, we underestimate... Yeah, sorry. sorry, Jane. No, keep going. Um, yeah, we just underestimate 
how much they know and are able to do mm. constantly. Um, I remember going back, uh, I come from the world of the International Baccalaureate, IB, it's like the CACE, mm. and we often go, well, we have to teach this chapter and this order and get, get to the end of the semester like this. Uh, a very passionate teacher two or three years ago took the same intended learning outcomes, the same standards, spent two days with the kids and said, why don't you design the learning experience and I'll give you feedback along the way and we're still going to keep the same summative assessment. We track that class who designed how they would want to learn it against previous years and looking at that data, the class that co-constructed or actually almost entirely constructed the learning sequence themselves outperformed previous cohorts. Right. So this goes back to what you were saying before about this is about learning, not about teaching. Exactly. So this is going back to that thing. And it's interesting that both of you are kind of coming from the same perspective about saying, looking at ways of facilitating learning that benefit all students, mm -hmm. um, not just gifted students. You're not talking about separating those heightened and those accelerated abilities from mainstream teaching. Is that, is that what you're saying, Viv? Yeah. Curriculum, I always say this at school, curriculum is my jam. I love... <laughs> designing exciting curriculum learning programs and it's got to be exciting for me as well as the students mm. and teaching the same thing time and time again just doesn't work for me so I, I just can't imagine that it works for them and a good learning program has been designed to meet everybody's needs so it works for those students who are gifted but it also works for those students who have learning needs because Everybody can enter at their own point. When um, the school year begins, how much of your documentation is already laid out? How much can you already envision the school year in your mind before it happens? A lot of it's already there, especially in the, for us in our primary school. But I think that it's a framework in which you're willing to make changes to suit the learners of your class for that year. Because every year you get a new class and they're not the same as the year before. Sometimes there are similarities or the dynamics are similar but they have different needs from year to year. Um, I really love um, learning tasks that have open-ended open -ended modes of presentation. So really important. I you know, am not a fan of PowerPoints. <laughs> uh, the days of presenting 25 PowerPoints is gone for me. It's, it, you tell me how you want to present that. Yeah. And as long as I can see your learning, I'm open to all ideas. Um, I had a great year last year with year fives uh, doing convicts and early Australia and I had some girls present a gold field uh, in Minecraft as their final product That's I had funny. other girls create uh, another girl created a newspaper another girl created a Lego set that demonstrated what it was like I'm, I'm really excited to see different modes of presentation the learning is there it just has to be open. So I think if you can have a framework and still have a lot of space within that framework. Yeah. So I'd like to ask you both, where does the label of being gifted fit within your school environment? So I'm, I'm aware both of your schools are doing different work in that space. And how accepted is that within the student body, within the teachers, in your local community? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. I'm going to go to the broader community rather than just uh, to my current school. But it's not really accepted on, in many levels. We accept the need for students at the other end of the spectrum in terms of learning needs, and we fund and provide a lot of support for those students in general. But what I, what I see in most schools 
is this idea that we outsource our gifted programs. Mm-hmm. Most schools have chess clubs and debate clubs and tournament of the minds and we're doing them constantly and the same kids are going to them. And often that's where we think we've gone, that's our gifted program. Mm-hmm. And it's not that and it can be so much more. So I don't think as a society we've really tackled the topic as well as um, learners at the other end of the spectrum. What about you, Viv? I think that we have a misunderstanding even amongst the teaching community about what it means to be gifted. And so when a student presents and they've got a diagnosis, for instance, um, you know, and you say to the teacher, this student um, is gifted, they say, Really? Like they don't look gifted, and, uh, or they don't appear like they're gifted. They're and not wrapped up as a present. <laughs> no, bad I joke. Think, gift. I think that um, teachers think sometimes we have students who are very capable, very bright. They work hard. They sometimes have parents at home who are driven as well as the students being driven, and they get great results across the board. And they're a delight to teach but it doesn't necessarily make them gifted. They're high achievers. They're high achievers. but They fit the box and know how to follow the rules, but that doesn't necessarily describe what you would maybe see as a typical gifted person, as you said earlier, who's very out of the box, very can be messy, that mad professor. Yeah, so when you get that gift of student who is gifted and they're messy or they're not great at every subject, they maybe have a particular subject that Mm. they're really good at or a couple of subjects they're good at. The teacher's like, are you sure this student is gifted? Because I'm not seeing that. And and I think they have a misunderstanding. I think in general in a society, you know, everyone thinks that gifted looks like one way and it doesn't. What do you think as a teacher, Viv, what is it that you personally bring? And this is always a, a weird question to always ask people who teach because it's, it's asking them about themselves. And it, it comes, like you say, Michael, it's about the teaching, not about the learning. But from, from a teaching perspective, what is it that you think that you uh, bring to uh, this particular area of, of education? What well, helps, helps facilitate better learning? We'll start, we'll reverse engineer okay. the question. Uh, I'm quite a dynamic person and I really enjoy trying new things all the time. I, I'm not sure that I get bored easily, but I'm always looking for that next, oh, what can we try next? And yeah. um, my husband sometimes calls it the squirrel effect. Like if I see something shiny and new, I'm like onto that. And I think that works really well for me because when I see a new idea coming into the education sphere, I'm like, oh, I'd, I'd like to give that a go. And even though I don't always know everything about that, I jump in feet first. Um, on top of that, in terms of students gifted students and talented students, I spent about eight years as a specialist teacher teaching computing and having that skill has been quite beneficial for me because I really adopt technology quite easily. Nice. and um, Which is constantly changing and constantly mm-hmm. in a mode of improvement anyway. And yeah. it's also a great way to get cred, uh, credibility with the students because the minute you teach them something they don't know – you've got credibility yeah. and then you're there's forever. Uh, so um, that's been helpful for me as a skill. Fabulous. How about for you, Michael? Yeah, I'm going to say advocacy. In, in my role, I, I feel like I'm there for the kids primarily um, and I advocate for them in terms of being very open to what their needs are. And it's quite interesting when I do classroom observations, which I'm a big fan of, of and giving feedback to teachers, um, they 
often are shocked that I actually don't actually look at them, talk to them, or even acknowledge the teacher is present in the room. All I go do is talk to three or four kids and ask, what are you learning? Mm. How are you learning? Why are you learning this? And I, I love that last question. And it always shocks teachers because sometimes they'll stop the entire class and I go, I'm not here for you. We're here for our students and I want to know what they're learning, why they're learning and how they're learning. I think the biggest risk for students who are gifted is that disengagement. Mm-hmm. If they're not interested or if they don't feel like they've had a voice in their learning, they're going to Solo. disengage and you've lost them. So I'd like to ask you both another question about your very early experiences in gifted education. So you've talked about these unbelievably rich and interesting careers and diverse students, but if you can flash back to that very first experiences that you had with gifted students what advice would you give yourself back then from what you've learned now yeah i'd i'd understand and know well what social emotional intelligences are Mm. and and be a real advocate for gifted kids and their social emotional learning because often we see giftedness through the eyes of some academic realm and it's at sometimes at the detriment to who they are as a human being. Mine was going to be much more simple. I was just going to say let go of the control. Uh, I think as a beginning teacher, you're told you need to have control of that classroom, (laughs) you need to manage that curriculum, you need to be on top of that because they'll be all over you. Let the students be involved. I'm okay with chaos. I think in the beginning I thought chaos was a sign that I wasn't doing a good job, but now I see that chaos can be great. Chaos is even better, perhaps? For the other conversations in this Gifted Education Teachers series, you can find the links in the show notes in this episode. The Four Teachers podcast is produced by James Meston and me, Michaela Howard-Jones, for ArchD Radio and Podcasting. Be sure to check out the other shows on this channel for great content about teachers, by teachers, for teachers.